This is the 121 Community Church Podcast. For more information about 121, visit us at 121cc.com. Everybody, happy September. It's officially fall, right? This is a great time. Uh, pumpkin spice lattes are in Starbucks now, so we can officially kick off the fall. Uh, I will say those things are like 12 things of donuts or something like that. Like, there's so much sugar in there, so I just try to avoid that. I love uh, the summer, but when it was like a month of 108, that like beat the summer out of me, so I'm ready, I'm ready for the fall. Um, this is a great time for sports fans. Uh, we got co- first week of college football. Um, yeah, there we go. We've got a couple of couple college football fans in here. I'll let me say this. If your team started out terrible, looking at you, Oregon, um, this is the house of the Lord, and there's hope. And we believe your team will be able to pull it and turn it around, um, even though Oregon got just dominated. I don't know about this 12-team football, <laughs> this 12-team playoff thing. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But high school football is here, uh, about to have the NFL football, so this is definitely the season. The Cowboys are going to do it. The Cowboys are going to win. <laughs> hey, I love this. That's like going to be the biggest amen I think I get like this entire sermon was the Cowboys going to do it, <laughs> which is why this is the house of hope. <laughs> so uh, I particularly love this time of the year because I love baseball, and that just means we are one month closer to playoff baseball, baby. We are one month closer. We got some teams that are doing well. The Rangers, not so much. But, uh, again, hope, right? We got some guys in the system. They're going to be pretty good in the next couple of years. Um, I love baseball. I really do. Uh, used to, for those of you who don't know me, I used to play in college. I coached in college. Uh, and I just really believe baseball itself is the game that most represents our personal walks with the Lord, as well as what it's really like when you're trying to share the gospel and live out Jesus' great commission to go and make more disciples. I really believe that. See, like our hope, right, when we're living out the commission is that we're trying to speak the gospel in hopes that somebody's barrier of unbelief will then fall. But just like with baseball, like I don't know if you know this, you know you can't actually control if you're going to get a hit? You really can't. But what you can do is put yourself in a position that gives you the best opportunity to get a hit. So when I, when, you used to co- when I used to coach and we talked to our guys about hitting, we would try to just break it down into four simple things because you can't control the outcome. When it comes to hitting, just try to break it down as simple as you can to four things. So the first one's your timing. All right, I got to make sure, am I getting on time? Am I getting ready to hit? Am I going? I got to make sure I'm getting on time, starting early enough, I can recognize the pitch and get going. The second thing is my position. Am I in a good athletic position that I can then launch the barrel from there and produce the best swing possible? From there, do I have good intent? Am I putting the best swing on the baseball, or am I just kind of flipping my wrist at it? But am I really trying to drive the baseball? Now, after that, though, I'm just trying to make sure I hit a good pitch. I'm making sure I'm hitting a strike. But once I get to the position where I make contact, after the ball is hit, I got no control. I have zero control if it's going to be a line drive out, if it's going to be a home run, none of it. I can't control that. But what I can do is make sure I've got good timing, I'm in a good position to hit, I've got good intent on the ball, and I'm swinging at a good pitch. I thought about having a tee and hitting. 
but then that would have been a sermon on how you trust God after you get fired. So that's not that today. With hitting, we want to just break it down as simple as you can because you can't control the outcome. And I actually think that's the same with sharing our faith. I need to put that down or I'm going to mess with it the entire time. See, what we're going to see today in the life of Peter here is God performs two miracles. But it's God who makes the miracles happen, not Peter. Peter can't control that. And what I think Luke the writer wants us to see is Peter just puts himself in a position for God to use him. And God uses him in a mighty, powerful way, more than Peter could ever even possibly imagine. But he put himself there. He put himself in a position for God to use him to break down other people's barriers of unbelief. And all he did was just simply four things. He was intentional. He then spoke Jesus. He was available. And then he just acted like Jesus. And I think that's what we need to pull out of, that today, out of this text today. Yes, we're going to see two amazing miracles, and praise God. But I think for our own life, if our walks with the Lord, of us, because the commission, the great commission to go make more disciples, that's not just for Peter, that's for us too. If we just focus on these four things and put ourselves in a position to be used by God through these four things, God might do a work in us today. Similar to Peter, far more abundantly and greater than we could possibly imagine. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 32. So we've titled this portion of Acts, uh, Breaking Barriers, because now we're about to read about how the gospel starts making its way out from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, where it's primarily just reaching a bunch of Jews, where now it's going to start making its way to the various cities that surround the area that then go to the nations and start reaching uh, Gentiles or non-Jewish people. And it's going to be... Here at this moment, there's going to be a catalytic moment with Peter because he just simply put himself in a position to be used by God. See, God's plan from the beginning, we see this in Malachi 1.11, is that his name will be glorified among all the nations in every corner of the world. We see that it's accomplished in Revelation 12 and, and also Revelation 7, where at the throne of God, every Knee is bowed from every tribe, language, and nation on this earth, and they're proclaiming Jesus is Lord. We're now in this in-between spot where the gospel's starting to break out through different barriers, through different socioeconomic barriers, different cultural barriers, different language barriers, and different geographic areas. We're now at that catalytic moment here in Acts 9, and it all started just because Peter was extremely intentional. Let's look at the text. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a, a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years. So Peter is doing this kind of pastoral tour amongst all the different surrounding cities of Jerusalem because disciples and believers had been scattered due to great persecution. So He's making his way throughout all the various cities, but this is what's interesting. He's being very intentional for, with his purpose of going there, and here's why. We see this phrase, 
He is among them all. Now, that's a very interesting and intentional phrase. The all right there is non-believers and believers. He's really intentional to go to where non-believers are going to be because we see right here in the text, he also came down to the saints. He also came to them. So what's his primary purpose of going to Lydda? He's going to be around non-believers. That's his purpose there. He knows there's going to be a group of people there who don't know the power of Christ, and he is intentionally getting outside of his, outside of his walls, outside of his kind of Christian bubble, and he's going where there aren't believers. He's being very intentional. And we see this stated in another way because he then finds a man named Aeneas. Now, for you to find somebody, for you to find something, means you're looking for it, right? And we see here, he's a man. He's not, you'll see later, a disciple. He finds a man named Aeneas. Now, earlier in Acts chapter 3, Peter actually healed a man uh, in the same region who was a non-believer. So he knows there's a good chance if I go here, there's going to be somebody there that doesn't know Jesus. And I'm going to have the opportunity to share the power of the gospel with him. He's being extremely intentional as he's going. And I think that's a question for us today. Are we that? Like, are we being extremely intentional to get outside of our spaces, to get outside of our four walls, to get outside of our comfort zones, and kind of get outside of our Christian bubbles? Because I don't know if you know this or not, but when somebody becomes a believer, statistically, within three years, they remove almost every single non-believer from their life. And, and it's not from a place of, it's not from like a bad place. And even oftentimes, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just kind of what happens, right? If you became a believer later in life, you know, maybe you grew up around and you ran with a rough crowd. Well, then next thing you know, you stop, you become a believer, and then you get plugged into a church community, and then you get plugged into serving, and then you get, you potentially even move different areas, and now you're not hanging around with that rough crowd. You just find yourself unintentionally now being around nothing but believers, which, again, is not bad, but... God's calling us to go and make disciples of all nations. So we got to do work to intentionally get outside of our Christian bubbles. Like, candidly, guys, I remember coming on staff here and thinking, yeah, I'm going to be around a, a lot of non-believers. And it's hard. I, I find myself rarely ever, unless I'm focused on it, being around people who don't know Jesus. But Peter here is being extremely intentional to get outside of himself and go be among them all, which is where Jesus is calling us to be. We have a men's group here at 121, and uh, I love the fact they are taking very seriously uh, our heartbeat this fall. Here at 121, we're thinking about being outside, and that's not necessarily just uh, outside in creation, you know, that's part of it, but it's being outside these walls, it's being outside of our regular rhythms, it's trying to get outside of ourselves to potentially be used by God because we see this. When we step outside of our comfort zones, God does some pretty amazing things. So one, the group uh, was talking, and they really wanted to start uh, go share their faith more. They feel like as a group, they weren't really doing that great. And so they're like, all right, look, we're going to do this together. And so they decided they were going to go to a dog park where there was in Grapevine where there was this kind of big dog event happening that one Saturday. 
This was particularly outside the comfort zones for the leader uh, because he doesn't own a dog. <laughs> and then, in fact, he's never owned a dog before. So this is really outside of his comfort zone. Um, but they said, no, we're going to do this. And he, so they went to the dog park that day. And there's tons of people, and they're handing out dog treats and waters, and they're sharing the gospel with people. And he told me he bets they probably had 40 to 60 conversations about Jesus with people there. It was awesome. One of the guys who was there ended up spending a significant amount of time with one individual that he met. And it turns out the guy he met was just going through a divorce. Well, because of this 121ers history, He's been through a divorce, too, that God has really redeemed. And he was able to be there and encourage him in the Lord, invite him here to 121, and who knows what's going to come out of that. Now, they didn't plan on that to happen, but because they were focused and intentional to get outside of themselves, God had them there and had those two guys specifically meet on that day. So how are we doing that? How am I looking at my life and seeing all the different places and spaces with which I live and play? And how can I get outside myself? Because that's what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to be among them all. And we will have no shot at helping break through people's uh, disbelief, their barriers of unbelief in Jesus, unless we make time to be among them. Think about this too. Peter, like Peter, he's the top dog in this Jesus movement. He's one of the disciples, and then he's one of the three other closest guys to Jesus. He's the guy that Jesus even said, Peter, I'm going to call you Peter because you're going to be the rock of which I build the church on. He's the dude. And yet he decides he's going to set himself up so that his ministry is to be among the people. I think that's a powerful witness. And I think that's something we need to be looking at when it comes to our own lives is how are we being intentional to be outside of our own selves. From there, we've got to then just boldly speak Jesus. Let's go back to the text. So Peter then said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. And immediately he rose. Peter here makes it all about Jesus. Notice he doesn't say, I heal you. He doesn't even say, I, in the name of Jesus, heal you. He just simply, yet powerfully and beautifully says, Jesus heals you. And the way you could translate this as well in the original language, uh, you could almost say, you, it reads even like this, Jesus Christ is making you whole. What beautiful and powerful truth that is, that Jesus Christ is the one who makes us whole. How many people don't know that? How many people that you know that have some idea about who Jesus is, who Jesus is that have some idea about what he potentially does? And I bet if you asked them, they would probably say, well, I hear Jesus is a, a, a hater of women and he's He's this and he's that and uh, he's really staunch and he just basically tells you what to not do all the time. 
And that is not Jesus at all. They don't know that Jesus Christ heals them. They don't know that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived a perfect life for them so that all they now have to do is just trust that. And then he willingly, intentionally laid his life down on a cross and he died for their sins. And now all they have to do is just put their faith and trust in that. And then their relationship with God will then fully be, be restored based off of nothing that they do except for just believing in that. But then you don't just get that when you get Jesus. You get all of your hopes, all of your desires, all of your longings of your heart are fully forever found in Jesus and made whole. They don't know that Jesus is the one who makes them whole. How many people don't know that? Think about it like this, too. This man has been bedridden for eight years. How many people walked by him and never told him that Jesus is the one who makes you whole? Man, who do you know today that doesn't know that? Maybe God's trying to tell us, all right, we need to intentionally position ourselves to be around that person, to tell them about Jesus. Think back to your own lives. That's what Peter thought back here. What did Jesus do in my life? And just tell them that. Hey, this is how Jesus made me whole. And you can believe it or not, but it's true. Look at my life. Oh, it's powerful when we speak Jesus. And oftentimes, Jesus will do something far more abundantly than we can ever even think when we just speak his name. We see in Isaiah, when we speak his name... His words never come back void. Jesus and God's word never comes back void. It does something every time we say the name Jesus. But just like we can't control if we get a hit or not, just like we can't control if somebody's heart actually opens up to the gospel, we can control if we just speak it. That's all God's calling us to do. He's saying, I, I got the salvation part. Just say my name. And look what happens with this one interaction. Immediately then we see in verse 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, the man who was healed, and they turned to the Lord. Now that all uh, is not necessarily the entire city, but it's so much that the, Luke, that the writer of Acts Luke is like, it's like all of them. It's tons and tons of people. This one interaction, this one conversation led to tons and tons and tons of people in the land, in the area, turning to who? Not the man who just healed the guy, the Lord. One conversation, speaking the name of Jesus, turned out so many people believing in him. You never know what might happen with just one conversation. Man, I always think about this too. It's like, who, who was the guy who first uh, shared the gospel with Billy Graham? Man, what might God do with just one conversation? Speaking the name of Jesus. See, from there, when we speak Jesus, oftentimes he does things we don't even know. And he's doing other works and he's opening up other doors. And then from there, he gives us more and more and more opportunities. That's why I love actually here in kids, you start seeing uh, parents who don't believe in Jesus 
coming to church because their kids love what they're getting out, love what they're getting from Pam and Diane and Creation Land and kids. And now they're like, parents, we're coming to church. And then they come to faith. Just one conversation, speaking Jesus. From there, after we've been intentional and we're speaking his name, we've got to then make ourselves available for where God might direct us for more and more opportunities. And that's what happens here with Peter in verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and of charity. I love that the, gospel, that, uh, the Bible oftentimes will give us uh, these people that we don't know much about, but we can see a little bit of who they are. That Man, this woman, Tabitha or Dorcas. Now, I will say this. Uh, if you're about to have a daughter, you're, you're jumping the gun. <laughs> There's a lot of beautiful names. Tabitha is a beautiful name, right? So Tabitha is her Jewish name. Dorcas is her Greek name. Uh, maybe don't do Dorcas. Just saying, there's a lot of beautiful names out there. However, though, I pray that my daughter and I pray your daughter will be remembered like Dorcas is here, that she was full of good works and of charity. And in fact, we see when it says she's a disciple, uh, a follower of Jesus, this is actually the only time in the New Testament that the feminine form of disciple is used. So this, this isn't just a woman of God. This is a woman to be remembered for her faith. I pray that, I pray my daughter is like that. It's a powerful picture of probably somebody who was just simply being available, and you'll see how, how much of she was available later. But man, I pray that's, I pray that's me <laughs> at the end of my life. So we have this, this powerful woman. It's a great example, too, of uh, Proverbs 22.1, where it says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. So in verse 37, we see, In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So, Tabitha dies, two men there get this idea because of what they hear is happening in Lida that they're going to send two guys there to go urge Peter. Okay, Peter, you're healing people there. Maybe you can come heal and raise Tabitha from the dead. Now, if you're Peter, you've been traveling a lot. Like, you've been walking around a lot. Things are happening now in the city that you're at. Again, he's Peter. He, he's the guy at the top of this Jesus movement. He's got a lot going on. He's probably tired. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that he can do. And then he gets word, hey, will you please come with us to come heal and raise our friend Tabitha from the dead? I mean, he could have passed on this. He could have said, guys, I got too much going on. He could have said, hey, look, I've healed a couple of people before. I've never raised somebody from the dead. Like, I, this ain't happening. But he didn't do that. He made himself available to God's direction and his prompting. How often do we not approach somebody because we're just not really available? We've got our day planned out. We've got our time planned out. This is it. And it's just kind of all on me. And maybe we don't even hear the promptings of God. 
It's one of the reasons we've been talking about rest here recently, because very often God will prompt us in the quietness and the stillness of our hearts. It's like he just kind of whispers, hey, that person needs to be talked to. Like I was thinking about this when I went and got my car uh, registration renewed, uh, and I was in this little small auto body shop. And I'm just honest, guys, I'm really bad about constantly listening to, like, podcasts and stuff like that. I just, like, I'm just kind of constantly listening to stuff. Uh, some of it's because I'm trying to learn. Some of it, truthfully, is just insecurity in me that I just don't think I know enough. And so, like, I'm trying to constantly, like, just be up on the newest news and the newest thing. Uh, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm about to put my earbud in, and I just look around, and not only is everybody on their phone in there, everybody, everybody had earbuds in. And I was like, man, have I been crowding out God with noise? My wife is really great about this, uh, and it's very convicting for me. She oftentimes is just like, God, hey, guide me today where I need to talk to somebody. Can you show me, Lord, where I might encourage somebody uh, with who you are today? She does this all the time in the grocery store. It's beautiful. She's constantly we walking down aisles, and she's like, I think God wants us to go talk to that person. And if I'm honest with you, it's sometimes like, it's just me being truthful. I'm like, I'm doing, I do this all day long as a minister. I'm just trying to get in the grocery store and get out. Like, I don't even know where I'm going half the time anyway. So, but, but I'm just like trying to, come on, let's go. I can be available at another time. <laughs> but I miss, I'm, I'm probably missing what God might have me do in that moment to be available for somebody. There's plenty of times Ashley will go up to somebody, and you know what, sometimes they give her the stiff arm. Like, no, I'm good. But there have been some really sweet times where somebody's just sort of breaking down because somebody actually said hi to them and asked how they were doing. And it's like they were just bottling it in, begging for somebody to notice them. And Ashley gets to encourage them in the gospel and pray for them. And both times, whether she gets denied or she or gets this beautiful moment, honor the Lord. Because again, we don't control the outcome. Just to use the baseball terms, just get in the box, step up to the plate, take a swing. Who knows what God might have? Are we making ourselves available for what God would have us do? And oftentimes, God will speak to us and he'll prompt us in ways that seem totally irrational and seem like there's no way that could be done. Like there's no way this could ever happen. There's no way God could ever break through this person. Like think of this right now. Do you know somebody who you think there is zero shot this person would ever believe in the gospel? I think one of the reasons we get these two stories of miracles, it's because it's a reminder that there is nothing that can stop our God's power and there is nothing that our God cannot do. He can break through. We just have to position ourselves in a way by being intentional, speaking Jesus and just being available wherever he would have us go. See, when you're doing that, you're being like Jesus. And oftentimes, God will prompt you in ways that are so outside of your comfort zones that all you can do is just completely rely on him. 
and just try to do exactly what Jesus was doing and just be just like him. Let's see what happens with Peter here. So in verse 39, Peter rose and he went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Now, I just want to paint the picture before we look what happens. This is a heavy scene. I mean, this is a heavy, heavy scene. This beautiful, powerful woman of God has been, is dead. And there's a bunch of widows who are there that Tabitha so lovingly served and took care of. They're there, and their friend has died. And they're weeping, and they're crying, and there's other people there that are crying. And I can guarantee you many of them are probably wailing and just saying, how is this fair, God? How, why, why let this happen? Why Tabitha? I mean, she's been so faithful. Why did this happen? And Peter comes in. And now they're looking to Peter. They just have sent for him. And they're looking at Peter to be the guy, to do it. Hey, Peter, come on. You can do this. You can help us out. You can raise her from the dead. You got this. I mean, that's a heavy scene. But look what Peter does. But Peter put them all outside, knelt, and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. This is massively significant because Peter in the midst of this extremely heavy, almost unbreakable barrier of a situation does exactly, action for action and word for word, what he at one point saw Jesus do when Jesus raised a man named Jairus' daughter from the dead. You see this in the Gospels, but especially you see this in Mark 5. Jesus takes Peter with him when Jesus is asked to come heal this man named Jairus' daughter. So Jesus shows up on the scene, and there's a lot of commotion going on. And what does Jesus do? He casts them all outside. He tells them, get out of the upper room. That's what Peter does. Jesus prayed. Peter prayed. Jesus, at, at this point, says, Talitha kume, or Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Peter here says, Tabitha kume, which means, Tabitha, I say to you, arise. Jesus takes her by the right hand. Peter takes her by the right hand. Jesus presents her alive. Peter presents her alive. So it's like, here in this moment, Peter steps into this scenario, and he's like, I have no idea what to do here. <sighs> but I'm trusting you, God. Oh, I remember, I remember you, you did it like this. And then just goes word for word, action for action, just like Jesus did. That's a powerful witness for us because, because I think sometimes we don't even attempt to break down someone's barrier of unbelief because we just don't feel equipped enough. And all God's saying here to do is just step up and just do what Jesus did. That's one of the reasons we came up with the eight ways here at 121 is because we wanted to equip everybody because it doesn't just take uh, some special talent to make disciples. All we did was just say, hey, here's what Jesus did. Now let's just do this. And here are eight tangible things for you to do. 
One, one of the other reasons we constantly are telling people, hey, get in life groups, get into some sort of community, because it's in community that we actually learn to live like Jesus lived. And you surround yourself with people who you could say, hey, I want to act like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Can you talk to me and show me ways where I might be off? It's like a good, it's like, truthfully, it's like a good coach, especially a good hitting coach. There are plenty of times where hitters will go wrong and they'll kind of go bad and they need somebody to go, hey, here's, here's what you're doing wrong. But you just can't see it. You can't feel it. And so you need a coach to come in and go, uh, you're starting to do this. Let's go do this. I think we sometimes so overcomplicate it because we're trying to control the other end. All we got to do is just fix our eyes on Jesus, and then let's just do that. I, uh, a friend of mine, I got to know, uh, he's a big league hitting coach. He's now with the Nationals. I got to know uh, Kevin Long at the time when he was the Yankees hitting coach. Now, I will say this for uh, our Yankee bandwagoners in here. Um, when K. Long was there, they won a World Series, they fired him, and they haven't been back since. He, he got on with the Nationals, they won uh, a World Series, first time I think they've ever done that. So I'm just saying, Yankees, I'm, I'm shouting out my boy K-Long. Like, that's what you get for, for firing him. Um, but when I talked to Kevin, he said when he first became a coach, he looked out and he tried to see who's the best player in the league right now. Who's the best player going? And it was Barry Bonds. And so he just thought, All right, I'm going to literally study Barry Bonds. I'm going to get hours and hours and hours of his swing. And I'm going to literally break down everything. Why does Barry do this? Why does he do this? Why does he do this? This is what he does on a breaking ball. This is what he does on a fastball. This is what he's doing on changeups. He just broke Barry's swing down so much because he said, that's clearly working. How can I then teach my guys to do this? Because he's doing it better than anybody. And that right there is like the essence of discipleship. It's like the essence of essentially my life's work right here. It's like I'm just trying to study God's word and just be like, hey, everybody, let's just do this. Let's just do what Jesus is doing. We don't need to overcomplicate it too much. Let's just do what Jesus is doing and go follow that. Because that is what truly breaks so many different barriers down. So when we look at our life, are we acting like Jesus there? Are we being intentional? Are we speaking his name? Are we being available? And ultimately, though, are we actually acting like him? Now, you might be sitting there saying, I hear you, Jordan. Those are great. Cool. Thanks for the four tangible takeaways. Okay, I can do all that. But, like, there's still two miracles here that I've never... I've never healed anybody. I've never even seen anybody raise somebody from the dead. So there, there's no shot, right? To which I would say, fair. That's fair. But I think if we think that, we're missing the whole point of what miracles are supposed to do. See, miracles lead to uh, an explosion of the gospel. Miracles lead to people coming to faith in him. That's the whole purpose to the entire Acts. You see a miracle, they came to know the Lord. Miracle, they turned to the Lord. Miracle, many believed in the Lord. That's the point of them. They lead to worship. That's the entire purpose of a biblical miracle. Tim Keller in his book, Reason for God, would say it like this when it comes to biblical miracles. He said, they don't lead to cognitive belief, but to worship, to awe, and wonder. 
we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant for them to be the restoration of the natural order. You see, the Bible tells us that originally this world was not created to have disease, death, and famine in it. All of those things that happen are a distortion of the beautiful reality that which our God made this earth. And every time God invades and he restores something through a miracle, it's not just proof of his power. It's a promise of what is to come. It's a promise of what God's going to do with his power and restore all things to how they were originally intended. And it's a promise that the world we desire is coming one day. It's not just for our minds. It's a promise to our hearts that if we hold on one day, Jesus will restore all things as they were originally intended to be. Good. Perfect. And every time we share the gospel, that's what we proclaim. And so if you've ever been there and you've proclaimed that and you've sat on the other side of a conversation like that and somebody came to faith in there, Guess what? You just were a part of a miracle. Somebody went from being dead in their sins to alive in Jesus. And every time we celebrate a baptism, guess what we're celebrating? A miracle occurred. A miracle at one point happened, and we celebrate that. So maybe, sure, you haven't raised somebody from the dead. But maybe God's used you to spiritually raise somebody from the dead. And that is the greater miracle. Because in both cities, many, many, many people came to faith in Jesus. But again, I think we just don't even like put ourselves in those positions because we, we try to make it all about us. How can I do that? And that's not what God's calling us to do. He's just calling us to be faithful and just simply be intentional. Speak Jesus when you're there. Make yourselves available for when I want to move you and act like Jesus. Now, we get a really cool picture at the end of this text, how Peter was continually doing all those four things. It didn't stop there. Because we then see Peter evidently stayed in the city, in Joppa, for many days. And what he's doing is he's establishing uh, different He's establishing a church. He's helping disciple all the different people who are now coming to faith in Jesus. And then we get this interesting phrase where it says that he stayed for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now, here's a combination of all four of those things that we've talked about right here in this one sentence. Because a tanner is the most despicable trade a Jew could ever have. A tanner is unclean because he's dealing with unclean dead animals. It is the worst thing a Jew could ever do, and no self-respecting Jew would ever associate with a tanner, let alone be one. In fact, uh, there's a book of Jewish tradition basically of how to basically uh, raise up any Jewish person to live as they're supposed to live as a Jew, and it's a book called the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, it says... Uh, that a wife has the legal rights, no matter what happens, to divorce her husband if he ever becomes a tanner for his trade. You become a tanner, boom, you're getting a divorce right there. Tanners are despised. 
And Peter, who is Jewish, is now staying with him. Isn't that just like Jesus would do? Jesus constantly associated himself with the people who were on the outside of society. Constantly was around the people who were on the outskirt and the fringes of society. So much so, people were like, oh, that Jesus guy, he's nothing but a drunk. Because he was around a bunch of drunks. But what was Jesus doing? He was getting outside of his, the normal religious circles and he was getting outside on the fringes because that's where he was needed. And it's because of this, this chance decision by Peter to stay with Simon that then we're going to read about how the gospel made its way to the nations and ultimately then to us. All because Peter was just simply being available, speaking Jesus, making himself available for people, and being just like Jesus, getting on the outside of his, outside of his comfort zone and being around people who needed him. So we talked earlier about um, hitters and hitting. And one of the things I love is um, if you look at MLB hitters, they all have different styles. Every one of them do, right? So you get some guys that are, like, really up tall, like King Griffey Jr., you know, if you watch him, he was real up tall. You get some guys that are real, like, kind of down, like Jeff Bagwell. Uh, you get some guys that are kind of open. You get some guys that start close. You get some guys that swing with one hand. You get some guys that go two hands, right? All these different styles. Some guys have leg kicks. Some guys just pick their toe up. There's a bunch of different ones. But... Every big leaguer, every one of them, and I've got hundreds of photos and even more videos that can prove this. It's why my iCloud is constantly telling me I'm out of, I'm out of storage. All of them, eventually, right before contact, get to the same hitting position. All of them. They all get to this portion where they're just about to launch and their hands are back and their hips are clear and then boom, the barrel comes in. All of them. It's what makes them big leaders. They all do it. And you know what also? Every big leaguer at some point struggles. These are the best of the best of the best of the best and they struggle. Like I remember back when I played, there, were, there would be plenty of times I'd be getting ready to hit and I'd be in the box and I'd be like, I am never getting another hit again. <laughs> I haven't got a hit in a month. I don't know. All my teammates hate me. Everyone hates me. My parents aren't here because I haven't got a hit in a month. <sighs> Why am I doing this? I'm going to strike out again. Oh, here we go. Boom, strike. I knew it. So many times that would happen. And in that moment, I would need a coach to grab me and go, hey, let's go back to the real simple basics. Let's go see where you're going off. And every time a hitter goes off, every time a hitter has a slump, they're off on those four things that we said earlier. Hey, let's look at your timing. Man, Jordan, you're late. All right, come on, get going again. You're late. Let's get started earlier, right? Oh, you're in a weird hitting position. What are you doing? Get back to what you normally do. Why are you doing that? Get back to what you normally do. Hey, what's your intent like? 
well, coach, uh, my intent is I'm going to strike out. <laughs> well, okay, let's not do that. Let's wash it. Come on. You got another opportunity. Hey, hit the baseball with some contact. Drive the ball. Let's go. Loosen it up. Quit thinking. Go. And then what are you swinging at? You're swinging at pitches that are up here and down in the dirt. Funnel your zone in. That's your advantage. Get back to your advantage. You keep it simple. And I have to wonder, like, maybe we're not seeing, I mean, we're seeing God do some great stuff. We really are. And I think we're so ready for, like, a real revival. I really do. And maybe we're not seeing that yet. Because maybe we, as, like, the church global, especially in America, and just maybe, if I'm honest, even in our own lives, maybe we've gotten off on just the four simple things. Like, maybe if I look at my life, I'm not really being intentional to see God break through somebody's barrier of unbelief. Maybe I'm not, or I'm there, and, I, and I'm just not speaking Jesus. Maybe I'm not even being available for God to even use me. And if I'm not, maybe I'm really not being like Jesus. It's something to consider if we're not seeing movements like this. But do you know why else I love baseball? It's a game of grace. Because you get another at bat. You get another opportunity. Baseball is the only game where you could go 0 for 3, have three strikeouts, make a bunch of errors, pretty much even though people say, hey, teams lose games, but pretty much sometimes it's like all on you. You could be the reason you're losing and still get one more at bat to get the game-winning hit. I love baseball, too, because even if you have a terrible day, you got tomorrow. So maybe in your life, I also like baseball, too, because you could go like one for four with a double, and that's a good day. So maybe for you, looking at it, you're like, man, I am 0 for 4. Hey, in Christ, you're four for four. In Christ, you're perfect. In Christ, you're holy. And in Christ, God willing, we get another opportunity to step up and just take a swing. Who cares about what's happened before? You got today. You got another opportunity to step up and take a swing. Who cares? You can't control if you're going to hold a home run. All God's calling us to do is just step up to the plate, take a deep breath, and just be intentional. Speak Jesus. Wow, make yourself available for him to do something far more abundantly than you could ever think in your life. And just be like Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much that you sent your son, God. Lord Jesus, thank you that you laid down your life for us and you intentionally placed yourself up on the cross to save us from our sins. And Lord, I pray that today, if there's anyone in here who's looking at their life and they're thinking, man, I, I just, I'm failing at all of these things. I pray, God, you will encourage them and remind them that they are your sons and daughters, and in you, 
you never once view them as failures. And I pray, God, you'll give us more opportunities. Would you use this church body to do a work in Grapevine and our surrounding cities where we just see things happen like, like, like in Joppa, how people are hearing about what's happening in this Grapevine area of the Metroplex. And man, I've I got to get in some of that. I love you, Lord. And I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Now let's spend a couple moments with God and, and in the stillness and let's just ask him to seal anything on our hearts and maybe he might bring, some, bring somebody to your mind that you can talk to. Maybe, maybe you haven't really made yourself available for him here lately. Here's an opportunity now. We'll just quiet ourselves before the Father and let him speak to us. You've been listening to the 121 Community Church Podcast. For more information about 121, visit us at 121cc.com.